Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Today is kind of a one of, and I want to call it the honor code and living a life empowered by honor. And, you know, honor is something that I think has diminished a bit in our culture. Um, you know, I, I <clears throat> when I went to, to Kenya, and you're going to hear more. By the way, we had promoted that this week would be our Kenya Share Week, but baby coming kind of got in the way of that in a good way. I'm not, not begrudging that. But, but Val and I didn't have any chance to kind of collaborate because she's going to share with me. We're going to share together because she went on the trip. And so we had no chance. So we said, you know be better. I said, Val, I don't want to just do that myself because that's what's going to end up happening. So let's wait. Let's delay uh, some time and let's do it next week. So we're going to share next week. So just so you know, it's coming. We weren't purposely deceiving you by telling you we're going to share today. We'll share next week. So, uh, but, but what I was going to say is we went to Kenya with a guy named Gary Lemire and you're going to see probably pictures of him in our presentation. And he's from Medicine Hat. He's from the church we used to lead there. And Gary, honestly, he's one of the most honoring people I know. And uh, just the way he treats people there, it was inspiring. If my wife was here, she would say amen to that. He's just a very honoring guy. He was just always very aware of other people's needs and just going the extra mile all the time. And it made me realize that this is something that's lost, that we don't always think anymore on a subway of getting up so a woman can sit down, right? How many of you have been in that situation in Calgary and realize that doesn't happen anymore? Guys don't necessarily think, oh, I better get up. There's a woman here and let her sit down. And that's part of our culture, though, to be honoring, and yet some of that's been lost. Now, on a very natural level, that's a bad thing, but on a spiritual level, that is a very bad thing as well and even worse. Because what I want to show you today is how When we honor God through our lives, I want to look at what that looks like, but when we honor God through our lives, it actually brings honor into our lives. It's very interesting how that works. You know, we we, I think if I said to you, would you rather be honored or dishonored? I think that would be a very simple question, right? I mean, I think anybody's gonna say, No, I love being dishonored. No, we wanna all be honored. But I wanna give you just a, a clue here today. If we want honor, then the best way to be honored in life is to live to honor God. That's just the bottom line. I remember a story just, and I never actually share about my high school days, and here I have Lennon Ingrid with me who knew me during those days, and it's just a coincidence because I never actually shared about this, but when I was in high school, uh, I was very timid initially until I got into my later teens, and the Holy Spirit, when I was 16, I... I just had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord met me. I began to read the word. I began to pray. I began to spend time in his presence. And I changed. You can't encounter God. You can't encounter the Holy Spirit and not change. In fact, listen, I want to say this. I think, my wife and I were talking about this just recently. I think the biggest change agent in our lives is the Holy Spirit period. You and I can read a lot of books. You and I can do a lot of self-work But if we do that without the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, without him interacting with him and receiving him, being a power by him, we we won't change. 
And so when I encountered the Holy Spirit as a 16-year-old, I began to change. I became way more outgoing. I began to share Jesus in my school. I began to be overt in my witness, bold in my witness. And I came kind of out of being a wallflower (laughs) to somebody who actually had some influence. Now, I didn't realize what was happening at the time because I'd always been invisible kind of in in school. I always was. We moved around so much because my parents were, were preachers that that I was always kind of the newest kid in the class and, and didn't know very many people, felt kind of lonely, kind of best friend of everyone, or friend of everyone, best friend of none, that kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? And so I didn't expect honor in that sense because I'd kind of, except for my academics, which I was very good at, I didn't really have anything else happening and I, I always felt kind of in the background. So here's what happened. This, was, this book blew me away. I became an overt witness. I became stronger for the Lord, for no other reason than just that I was passionate and hungry to serve him. And so it came to the end of my grade 12 year. And uh, in our school, when they voted for valedictorian, that's exactly what they did. They didn't just choose the person who had the greatest academic record. I was always top three in my class, back and forth during our years. It's just where I was at. But they didn't choose based on that. They, they chose based on other things. And so they actually put it to a vote of the students. So I remember the day, it blew me away. We were sitting in a classroom and they were voting on who the valedictorian would be of the class. And they put all these names on. They put names on the board that they felt, the teachers felt would be candidates. I was one of them. And there was a number of other names. They started voting. It was secret vote. Mark on a piece of paper, submit it. They started crossing names off, wiping names. It was a chalkboard, ancient of days, right? Not a smart board. It was a chalkboard. Anyway, they started wiping names off, right? Until, get this, it was me and one other guy. Now, this blew me away. They they, they, they framed it like, who would you want to represent the class? Not just they're the best academics or sports, but who would you want to represent this class? These are my peers. It got down to me and the most popular guy in the class. Now, I figured at that moment I probably wouldn't win, and I didn't. He won, which is fair, but I was runner-up. I remember leaving from that going, I can't believe that. How how did that happen to me over these years? This is me. Like, seriously, I couldn't believe it. But you know what it was? God was honoring me. God was honoring me for honoring him. Now, it doesn't always happen exactly that way. Don't get me wrong. But that's what was happening. Then we went to the academic awards, which is the final event of the whole year. And uh, they had the citizenship award, community citizenship award. So they announced who that is. And that's voted by the teachers. And they look at everything, like who in the, in the schools involved in the school and the community and, and investing and giving back and, and adding value. And also their academics and all that. Well, I waited and they announced me. I went up and got the community award. Like, honestly, you got to understand something. I was blown away both times because that had never been me. But why was that happening? I believe now when I look back, it's because God honors those who honor him. And I had chosen to honor him in my school for no other reason than I just loved him and I, I was vocal and I cared. And God just said, I want to highlight this. And so he highlighted me. Now, I'm not unusual in this. God will do that in our lives. Maybe not some public gathering where we're honored, but he'll do that in our everyday life, our workplace, our family. He will honor us. And certainly he will do that in eternity. 
when we arrive in eternity and if we've lived a life that honors him, reflects who he is, we will be honored. Even if we don't see it, I just want to encourage you with this. Even if you and I don't see it fully right now, because sometimes we don't feel honored for being a believer, do we? In fact, we might feel dishonored in our job. We might feel dishonored by other people. Let me just say this. If you're dishonored now for following Christ, you will be honored later. Isn't that encouraging? That keeps us moving. So here's some scriptures. It would be good to have some scriptures, wouldn't it? Here's some scriptures that talk about this. 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. This is where uh, Eli, the, the priest, is being challenged. Eli was somebody who... Uh, his sons, he didn't take care of his sons. He didn't properly guide his sons. His sons followed him as priests, but they were bad sons. They were sleeping with women. They were acting very poorly, and Eli wasn't correcting them. So here's what finally God says to Eli when he challenges him. He says this, the Lord God of Israel says, I said that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever, but now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Wow. Those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. What was he saying to Eli? You are not honoring me. Therefore, your line will not be honored. And if you look at what happened to Eli, his whole line was wiped out, and they ceased to be priests because they didn't honor God. God says, those who honor me, I will honor. First Chronicles 29, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. Riches and honor come from you. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, we all, I think, would like some measure of riches. It's good to have provision, right? Richie says, yes, pastor. Amen, Richie, I'm with you. It's good to have riches, but riches without honor is not a good thing. Would you agree with that? I think we could probably look in the world today and see people who have riches but not honor because they walked over others, they, they were unfair, they were ungodly in their dealings, they were crooked, they don't have honor. Riches and honor go together, but they come from the hand of God. Psalm 50, love this. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall honor me. Now this is interesting. Have you ever thought about the fact that your difficulty in life, that your extreme circumstance could actually become a way to honor God? Now, this, this changes it, doesn't it? Because we all have difficult circumstances. But how you and I recover, you know, respond in that difficult circumstance could depend on whether God is honored or not. God says, if you call upon me in the day of your trouble, I will deliver you and you will honor me. I will deliver you, and me coming and touching your life and delivering you in your difficulty brings honor to me. Sometimes, I know in my own life, this has changed how I view things. Because just like you, I don't like difficulty. Again, this is an easy poll. If I went around and said, how many people like difficulty in your life? Nobody's going to put their hand up. We don't like difficulty. And, but it happens. But if you and I respond properly and say, God, this is hard right now, and I'm trying to keep my attitude right, but... Lord, if, help me to respond in a way that honors you so that, that people would see that, that people would see me call out to you, and then in the end, you'd be honored. Psalm 62, my salvation and honor depend on God. He is my rock, my refuge. Psalm 84, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So, this passage tells us when we're blameless, in other words, when we're trying to obey God, 
And we all falter at times. We're trying to obey God. We're trying to do our best. We're saying, God, I want to honor you with my life. I have clay feet. There are times I mess up. But God, I want you to be honored. The, the Lord says, when we have that mindset and we live like that, he bestows favor and honor. I love the word favor. Again, easy poll. How many people love the word favor? Yeah, favor is good. You know what? Favor means that I receive something that, that I'm looked upon favorably, that for some reason uh, I stand out and I'm blessed and I don't even deserve it, right? Like I just receive favor. You ever had favor in your life where you just said, boy, those people treat me so well or I got that job or this happened and I didn't really deserve it, but you just saw it as God's favor in your life. Again, honor and favor are tied together. Are you getting the fact that maybe honor is important? That maybe how we honor others and honor God is important? It is. It's profoundly important. So honor actually means this. Here's the definition. It means to highly regard, value, or esteem. It means to treat something special, unique. It's a profound respect mingled with love, devotion, or awe. So it's an amazing concept, and it's a yielding or submitting to the one honored. Let me just say this. To really honor doesn't mean that I just have these affections and I feel, you know, some affection towards somebody or even towards God. It means that I'm willing to yield or submit to that person. If I honor God, it means I'm willing to yield and submit to his will for my life. I want to honor you with my life, God. I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. That's what honor means. It's not just feelings. It's action. So how do we do this? How do we live honorably? Here's what I'm going to do in the next little uh, bit of time. I'm going to talk about how we can move ahead now to start walking in this. And then I want to show you some biblical examples. And this is my favorite part. I want, to, I want to show you several biblical characters who exhibited honor. And I think if we look at their examples, we can see specific ways that they honor God. It'll give us examples. You know, the Bible says that everything written down in Scripture about those who lived before us was for our example. You know that? The best examples are those in the Scripture, and some of them are lousy examples. But even those bad examples were written down so you and I would take note and go, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that in my life, right? So examples are the best, biblical examples. So I'm going to give you a few of those, and hopefully by the end, you'll be inspired. You'll know where to move from here, and you'll also have a sense of maybe what God's calling you to do now. And, and I think that whenever God brings conviction, I know that he gives us the grace to change and to move. So let's move into how we can begin to live honorably. Here's the first thing I wanted to say. Let the past go. Let the past go. I, I bet if I polled you, and this is the day of polling, but if I said, is there anything in your life you've ever done that you felt was dishonorable, right? That didn't bring honor to you, made you look bad, was just plain. I think we'd all put our hands up and say, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I, I've, I've done things in my life that are dishonorable. I've done things that, that were poor, that were disobeying God, that didn't look good, that hurt other people. Now, here, here's the good news about this. We don't have to live in that anymore. Have you ever met someone who was stuck in the past? You ever met someone? I have. I mean, I've met people over time. And, and they're stuck. And the narrative they tell you is the same narrative. And it's one of failure. It's one of disappointment. It's one of their own inadequacy. I know people like this. 
and they're stuck. All they can see is how bad they are. All they can see is how they let God down in the past. All they can see is their failures and bad decisions. And it's hard to hear it. They're stuck. And, and let me just say this. God doesn't expect you to stay stuck. He doesn't want you to stay stuck in your past. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone, is, this is one of the first verses I ever memorized as a young man. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A new creation. If you are in Jesus, you're a new creation. Pardon me, a new creation. I love this passage because it doesn't just talk about subtle change. Did you, did you realize when it talks about new creation, it's actually talking about a metamorphosis. It's talking about a total, like you're a new you. When you came to Jesus, you weren't just an improved you. Oh, look, he kind of... He came to Jesus now. He's a nicer guy. He's got better values. No, you actually changed. You, your, your nature changed. You became born again. You became alive with God. And his power and presence began to flow into your life. And you began to have communion with him. And you began to take on his character in your life. And you're, you're now on a journey of growing in that for the rest of your days. It's not just some self-help decision. It is a life-giving change. And when we forget that, we get back into striving and works and trying to change ourselves. And I'm a bad person. And, you know, I, listen, God accepted you at your worst. At your worst, he took you and said, I forgive you. I embrace you. I accept you. So what would change now? If he took you when you were totally unwashed and said, I accept you and love you then why would he reject you now when you mess up and when you get soiled again? Why would he throw you away? He won't. He won't do that. But unfortunately, sometimes we forget this. We forget this. And so rather than walking in honor, rather than understanding that God loves us and he's for us and he has a good plan for us and he wants us to walk in a way that honors him and he wants to honor us, we believe we're unworthy. We believe that we're at the back of the bus and so we live in this regret. Psalm, Philippians 3, 12 to 14, one of, another passage that I memorized over time. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, Paul was saying here, the great apostle Paul was saying that he had not fully taken hold of what God had apprehended him for. God, God has a reason for each of us to be on this earth. He has a purpose for each of us to serve him and honor him. And so he wants to take a hold of our life and draw us into that plan. Like, that's his plan for you. His heart for you is, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. And I want to take a hold of your life. If you'll let me, I'll take a hold of your life. And I'll bring you with me into your purpose. That's, that's his heart for you. And Paul's saying here, you know, I am not in that purpose fully yet. Now, if you look at Paul writing 40% of the New Testament and all that he did, you'd think, well... If you're not fully in it, you're pretty far into it, right? Like, compared to me, you're quite a ways down the track. But he's saying, I haven't fully apprehended this yet, but here's, here's, look at this. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, everything God has for him. But one thing I do, one thing, say that with me. One thing I do. Say it one more time. One thing I do. What is it? Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, There's one, th look, Paul says, I want everything God has for me. 
And there's one thing, though, that I do because I want that. I'm going to forget what is behind, and I'm going to strain to what is ahead. Now, let me just say this. Paul had two different types of things, and I've shared on this before, but Paul had two different types of things to forget. He had a lot of success to forget, to be honest. We always think, you know, we, we, we think of his conversion and him persecuting Christians, and that was really bad. But he had some good things. He was like a Jew of, among Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was trained in the best with, with Gamaliel. He was trained in Jerusalem in the best way. He was the strictest Pharisee. Like, honestly, he, in his world, in his time, he was like the best, in, best Jew there could be. He, he was... He was approved. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he had to forget that to be a believer. He had to let that go. Now, he also had some really terrible things. How many people would agree killing Christians is pretty bad? Yeah. And that, that's the major black mark on him. He stood there as they threw the coats down to kill Stephen. He stood there giving approval. And that haunted him. I'm sure for Paul, when he became a believer, that haunted him. So here's Paul's decision as as someone God is calling to step forward and carry this good news to all these nations and, and write the New Testament and make this big change, here's Paul's decision. It's the same decision you and I have. Is he going to move forward in what God has, or is he going to let his past dictate that he can't? Because Paul could have, God could have come to Paul and said, you know, I'm calling you to go to the Gentiles. I'm calling you to take my gospel where it's never gone and plant churches and write, you know, scripture. And are you willing to do this? He could have said, well... I'm kind of a schmuck, God. Like, I killed Christians. Remember that? Like, I'm a bad guy, God. I don't think I'm worthy to take this on. I think there must be somebody better who wasn't such a loser. Uh, no, I think I'll pass. Like, he could have done that. I mean, he didn't, thank God. But he could have. He could have said, I'm not worthy. I, I'm the worst of sinners, which he, he admits later. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. But he also knew the grace of God in his life. And he was able to embrace that God had called him. So he says, one thing I do, I forget what's behind. Now, that's not the only thing, though. I strain toward what is ahead. You know, there's a reason, and I, again, this is an analogy I've used before. There's a reason why your car has a big windshield and a small rear view mirror, right? There's a reason for this, right? I mean, wow, pastor, you're teaching deep truth today. Yeah, there's a reason for this. And the reason is you're not supposed to be driving looking in the rear view mirror. Can you imagine if the rearview mirror was as big as your windshield and you had a little portal to look out? I mean, you wouldn't be able to drive very well through the little portal, you know, at your street. It'd be easier to look in the rearview mirror. Now, let me just ask you, if you look in the rearview mirror and drive, what happens? It's called accidents, right? You're, you're going to have a crack up. You're not, and at the very worst, you're not going to go where you need to go. You're going to go somewhere different. Can I just say this? If you and I have a rearwood, rear-looking perspective in our lives, we are not moving forward. We are weaving back and forth, and we are not advancing to what God has for us. God, some of you here still need to have the rearview mirror broken in your life. Now, I'm not saying that's a simple thing and just forget about it and walk away. I think there's healing needed often. There needs to be forgiveness released. Sometimes there's bitterness. But if you find yourself looking back all the time, regretting at failures, can I just say something? God wants to break the rearview mirror in your life. There's a process he wants to take you through because that's not healthy. That, and, and so Paul said, I'm breaking the rearview mirror and I'm going to strain toward what is ahead. I, I am, I am, and straining sounds painful. Again, we don't like the word straining. 
Straining conjures up images to me. I don't want to strain, but Paul's saying there's a good straining, and the straining is when I'm pushing as far as I can to accomplish what God, God's called me to do. In other words, there's an energy, there's a perseverance, there's a willingness to push through every circumstance because I want to see what God has for me. Let me just say this. That's only possible if the rearview mirror is broken because if it's not, you can't strain because you're, you're always looking back here. You're always diverting your attention back there. You're not really focused on the forward. Some of you here, God wants to break the rearview mirror. I feel this so strongly. You have chronic things that keep coming back to you all the time. Chronic failures, chronic weaknesses. The enemy keeps pounding you. And you think it's God. You think it's God reminding you. It's not God reminding you. God says, I want to break that because I don't... You're wasting time and energy on the past. I have a great future for you. I want you to start straining toward that. I want you to start advancing towards what I have for you. Let it sink in. If that's you today, let it sink in. Because that's God. He wants to encourage you. He wants you to walk in honor. So the first thing is let the past go. Second thing is let the Holy Spirit open your eyes to the person of honor you're becoming. Say, God, help me see myself the way you see me. You know, I realize in my own life, there's times I don't see myself the way God sees me. Often, frequently that happens. But the key is letting him come into my life and share with me again how he sees me. How do you see me, God? How do you view me? You know, I, I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll, some of you wouldn't have heard it and I'll apply it again. You know, one of the most key moments in my life was a dream three years ago that I got. And I'm not somebody that dreams all the time. Like I dream, but... They're kind of like bunnies in the dream kind of thing. Like, I, can't, I had some weird dream last night. I, I mean, just say it's not a spiritual dream. Right? It's like a weird dream. I have all those kind of dreams. But the spiritual dreams, I don't, I don't have them very often. I know people, there are people here that have dreams like that more often than I do. But, but I, I've had a couple of them. And when I had them, they're really key. And, and this is the one that I had that I believe God just gave me to nail something into my heart. And here's what it was. This is three years ago. I had taken two weeks to fast and pray, and then I went on holidays. I was in our tent trailer uh, having a good vacation sleep. But in my dream, here's what happened. In my dream, I was in this big house. And in the house, I knew there was a family that owned the house. And I was amazed at this beautiful house. And I was also mostly amazed that this family wanted to adopt me. I was thinking, wow, this family. I felt like a kid in the dream. I thought, this family's going to adopt me. And they have this beautiful house. Like, this is amazing. And then in the dream, the father of the family said this. He said this about me. He said, he has always been a very special child. And I remember in the dream feeling like, wow, I feel so affirmed. He has always been a very special child. That's me. He's saying that I'm a special child. And then we moved to the kitchen in the dream. People say that in dreams, kitchen often represents the, represents the heart of a person's life because the kitchen is the heart of a home. And in the kitchen, um, I was handed this golden chalice. And uh, it had jewels. I remember it had jewels on it. It was gold. And then right under the lip of it, it had um, like this vine carved in gold and it had clusters of grapes hanging down. It was so interesting. I can still see it in my mind's eye. And I remember I was handed this, and I took it. And when I took it, I immediately woke up, and I was staring at canvas. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. It was kind of bizarre. It was like, boom. And I thought, 
this is a dream from God. So I, I spent time thinking about it. What does it mean? Well, here, here's what I believe it means. I don't want to take too long on it, but, you know, I was adopted into this family, and that speaks to the family of God. It speaks about sonship, right? I was adopted into this family, and that's all of you. All of us who are Christ followers have been adopted into the family of God. So that's a very significant truth, our adoption. But then the father approved me as a son. He said he's been a, always been a special child. So I was approved as a son, which is my primary, my primary identity. More than being a pastor, more than being anything else, my primary identity is that I'm a son of God, that I'm, I'm a son to the Father. Your primary identity as a believer is that you're a daughter or a son of the Father. Primary. It's before everything else. It's before how you act, what you do. He sees you as a daughter or as a son. Now, now we can say, yeah, I get that, but let me just say, do you get that? Because that's really life-changing if you get that. That changes how you function and work in life. And so, so I... I see that. And then the last thing is I was given this goblet, which is like a cup of blessing. And those clusters of grapes and that vine, I think is John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You, you, By abiding in the vine, by being connected to the vine, I am fruitful. That's what I think God was saying. Look, you abide in me, you remain in me, and you're going to have a fruitful life. Now, everything I just told you is the same for you. It's no different than for, for me than for you. What was God telling me? He's saying, your identity is this. You are someone who's becoming honorable. You are someone I've put my hand on. You are more than you think you are. It's the same for you today. The, the, forget the past and say, God, help me see who I am. See, that dream helped me see who I was. It reminded me who I I go back to that dream all the time and remind myself. It's like a gift from God that just keeps giving. So I say, oh, yeah, right, I'm a son. Oh, yeah, right, I'm favored. Oh, yeah, right, he's blessed me. And as long as I remain connected to him, I'll be fruitful. Same for you. So let's look at some people in Scripture, and then we're done. Who are some people in Scripture that showed great honor? Well, the first one, Abraham. Abraham is an amazing, I mean, we could, we could we'll have to do a series on Abraham sometime, because phenomenal person, obviously. Father of the faith, referred to so often in Scripture. And, and here's what it says about Abraham. And I'm going to summarize some of this a bit quicker so that we finish today on time. But um, Abraham, it says, let's look at verse 23. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Abraham was called by God's friend. Why? Why was he called God's friend? Because he believed what God told him and he never would let go of it. Now you say, well, that's not so hard. Well, <laughs> look at his story. At 75, he was told he was going to have a son, and he's already old, and he's told that son will be your heir, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and you're going you're to be this great patriarch, but he doesn't even have a, an heir yet. 75. You know how long it took till he got that heir? 25 years. <laughs> I mean, he, God kept coming back to him and reminding him. It took him he was like a hundred. And you know why God affirms him? Because he never let that die. Because he never let go of believing that God was willing to do what he said he would do and that he would. And, and here's the other thing. When he gets Isaac, Isaac grows up and then God says, oh, by the way, I want you to sacrifice your son. 
Now, these stories in the Bible blow our minds, don't they? Have you ever really thought what this means? You ever thought about, I have, and I'm like, wow, I don't, I don't know how I'd respond to that, right? Like, um, God, I don't get this. You gave me this son after 25 years, and now you want me to sacrifice him to you? Now, the amazing thing is Abraham went and did and said he would do that, believe that God could bring his son back to life and was willing to do it. God didn't require him to do it. But because Abraham was willing to go to the wall for God and do whatever God said, he honored God. And because of it, God honored him. And we remember him today. And he's honored, I think, to be honest, I don't know about you, but I think the greatest commendation would be to be called a friend of God. Don't you think so? Wouldn't you like that? Who was he? He was a friend of God. I, I, think, I think that's the best thing. He, he was a friend of God. He was somebody that God could talk to freely. He was somebody that, that honored God as a friend and God honored him as a friend. Abraham. Second one is David. King David. Now, let me just say this. King David's an example of a flawed individual, right? Now, if I was David, I'd probably be, I don't know, I'd probably be embarrassed that my biggest failure is written in a Bible that everybody's reading. Can you imagine? We all go to heaven and see him, but in our mind, we, we remember his moment with Bathsheba, right? I mean, this is, I mean, the Lord's faithful and good. I mean, I just think that's kind of hard. But he, he's obviously okay with it. He's in heaven. But we actually see that. So we know that David was flawed. We know that David had regret in his life. We know that David was one of those people that had to break the rearview mirror, right? Because I don't know about you, but I think he could have curled up in a fetal position after having done that and said, I'm done for the rest of my life. That was terrible. I mean, I had Uriah killed. I mean, read the story. It's a very bad story. But what do we really, I mean, we can remember that, but what do we really remember about David? We remember what Acts 13 says about him. David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Yeah, but God, he was flawed and he made mistakes and he, he let you down. Yeah, but he was a man after my own heart. He was repentant and he was willing to do what I called him to do. Here's an example of that, which is amazing. 2 Samuel 24, David does a foolish thing here. And we wouldn't, some of these things we wouldn't understand in our context, why they were so bad. And I don't want to get into the context of why they were, but <clears throat> David took a census of all of Israel. Wanted to know all the people that lived there, all the fighting men, everything. <clears throat> Even Joab, his commander, said, you know, I don't think this is a good idea, David. I don't think God will like this. And the reason God wouldn't like it is because it showed a dependence on human strength. David was trying to determine how strong he was based on his numbers. God never asked him to do that. God said, look, I'm the one who fight for you. And so you don't need to know how many people you have. You don't need to know how big your army is. Just know that I'm big enough. Just be faithful. But David, for whatever reason, decided, no, I want to find out. Anyway, God wasn't happy. And so God actually came to David and said, uh, you're going to be judged for this, which is not a good thing to hear from God. People are going to pay the price for this. So David allows his country to fall into God's hands. There's a plague that starts. Hard to go through all this. Hard to explain all the detail in a quick story. But just know it was a bad moment. But God gets to Jerusalem and says, not enough. We're not doing any more. So as a result of it, David is going to make a, a sacrifice uh, there toward to God. And, and so what happens is, and here's, here's the interesting thing, 2 Samuel 24, 24, 24. 
But the king replied to, to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Now, this is very interesting. David was going to sacrifice to God because the plague had stopped and, um, and there was a threshing floor there at the place where he was going to do this. And he wants the threshing floor. And because he's the king, he could have just taken it, right? King could just have what he wants. King could say, yeah, I want that threshing floor. And the guy would say, yeah, you're the king. Here, take it. And David could get it for free. But even though the man who owned the threshing floor where he wanted to do the sacrifice said, take it, he said, no, 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 no. I won't offer to God anything that costs me nothing. In other words, I recognize that my life needs to sacrifice, needs to involve sacrifice. I recognize that to serve God involves sacrifice. And that honors him when I sacrifice. So I am not going to offer something to him that I didn't pay for. This has to be from my heart. This has to be sacrifice. Powerful, powerful principle there. And so he buys it. Then he offers the sacrifice. Now, this heart attitude is one of the reasons that David was after God's own heart because he understood this. He understood honor. He understood the need to sacrifice to honor God. You know, we just got back from Kenya and there was something there, and I, I, I can't recall if I mentioned it a couple weeks ago or not, but I'll mention it again. It was impacting. So Val and I were doing teaching in Lodwar to, um, to the leaders of the church. And so they were coming to Lodwar every day. We did it for two days, and then there was Sunday service, and then there was a meeting after that. So for three days in a row, these people, we went out to this small community under a tree, for three days in a row, people walked in the heat two hours to church to receive three hours. Val and I spoke once each, and then we had lunch. And then they walked home two hours. And they did this three days in a row because they wanted to grow in leadership, and they wanted to be with the church, and they wanted to seek God. Do you know how humbling that was for me as a preacher? I thought, God, I better have something good for these people, <laughs> right? They walked two hours in the heat to come and hear this, and they're doing it every day. They were there three hours and walked four. How many people like that ratio? Wouldn't, wouldn't you love that in Calgary? Hey, we're going to have a three-hour meeting. Oh, you'll have to walk four hours. Is that okay, church? No, seriously, how are you really warm to that idea right now? You're like, I would do that. Part of you going, are you out of your mind, right? I mean, sometimes for me, it's hard to drive 20 minutes to go to a church service. <laughs> All I'm saying is, those people understood, and they need to. And you might say, well, they don't have a lot going on in their life. Yeah, no, they just have to go get water down by the river, which is miles away every day. That's all they have going on in their life. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I, you're just hearing the challenge in my own heart. It really played with my heart to see this. My point is this. We live in a different culture. My point is this. They understood that being a Christian costs. They didn't base their commitment on comfort. They didn't base it on, is this opportune for me? Is this the best for me? Am I going to get hot walking out there? They based it on, is this what God wants for me? Yes, he does. Do I need to grow? Yes, I will. Am I going to honor God? Yes, I will. It challenged the stuff out of me. Still is. Because I have to ask God, where's my commitment? God, am I like that in my life? Am I still, have I ever been like that? Do I have a passion like that? 
Am I willing to do whatever? Or do I base everything on my own comfort? And is it good for me? And do I have something better to do? And you know what I mean? Do you hear me? Because that challenges me. And when I, when I think about what David said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I think that's part of honoring God. We need to understand there's a cost. We need to be willing to pay it. And we need to believe that when we pay that cost and when we sacrifice, there will be honor for us. Maybe in this life, but certainly in the next. It's the bigger picture we need to understand. Number three is Hannah. Moving quickly. Number three is Hannah. First Samuel 1. You know this story? Amazing story. Hannah can't have kids. Can't have children. Wants a child really badly. So she promises, here's what she does. She promises to God, you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. You give me a child, I'll give him back to you. I haven't had one yet, I don't have one child, but if you give me a child. So what happens is God says, okay, gives her a child, and it's Samuel. Now, this is a tough one to think about. After he was weaned, she took Samuel back to the temple, to the priest, and gave him to God's service. After he's weaned. This isn't like a 20-year-old. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, a young, this is a young child being taken from his mother. Lord, you gave this child to me. I asked you to give this child to me, so I'm going to take this child, and I'm going to give him back to you. Amazing. She honors God with her child. Now, how does that apply to us? By the way, God honored her with many more children after that. It's an amazing story. But I think what this speaks to us is our willingness to honor God just by raising our families, just by being good parents, by being people who are willing to sacrifice for our kids, are willing to invest in the lives of our kids and our grandkids. You know, the, the woman that stands out, and I, I, I'll go through this quickly, Susanna Wesley. Now, you, you, you might not recognize who that is, but that's the mother of Charles and John Wesley. The, 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 they founded the Methodist movement. Some of the greatest leaders, John Wesley, these are great men of God, if you read stories about them. Their mother was Susanna Wesley. She had, oh, here are the stats. This is like 1688 here. This is the 1600s, 1700s. She had 19 children, but only 10 survived. Yikes, didn't have modern medicine. Out of the 10, she raised them to fear God. I, I, I was reading about her, and it blew me away. Her house burnt down twice. Her, her husband left once for a whole year because of a minor dispute. I'm not sure what that was all about. She ended up raising them on her own. And her diary indicates that she decided to spend different nights with different children. So she had this, this plan where she would sit and spend time with each kid every night during the week. <laughs> she was a busy mom, we, 10 kids. So, but she would like, she, she wrote it down. I, and, she, and the other story is, in the midst of all her busyness with her kids, running around, she would take time to pray. In fact, her daily devotions is a mark of her life that she'd spend time with Jesus every day. And one way she'd do it is she'd put her shawl over her head. And <laughs> now think of this. Her kids are running around. She's like, it's my prayer time, kids. I'm going to put my shawl over my head now. Now, it wasn't like the Dome of Silence. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that would be a good idea with kids running. Dome of Silence, I can't hear you, you can't hear me. But she trained them somehow. She'd put this shawl over her head, and she'd sit in the corner, and she'd pray while her kids were running around. And then she'd be like, okay, I'm done praying now. 
Amazing woman. Amazing fruit from her life. That still remains today. What's my point sharing that with you? She honored God by raising a godly family, by willing to sacrifice and invest. And because of it, God honored her. And I think wherever we're at, and some of you have kids, some of you don't, I think the principle's the same, though. By honoring, by raising up others, by investing in others, by sacrificing to raise up other people, God says, that honors me, and I will honor you. And finally, lastly, Joseph. Joseph. What a hard luck story Joseph's is. I don't know. I've read (laughs) Joseph's story to encourage myself in moments of my life, right? Where it's been really hard and I felt like I was in prison. You ever felt like you've been in a prison in your life? A place that's tight, confined, dark. Joseph was in prison. And he was in prison for doing a good thing. He, He resisted temptation. He didn't take his master's wife and sleep with her. He was but he was in prison for it. I don't know about you, but I could get pretty bitter in that situation. This isn't fair, God. I did the right thing, and here I am in prison. Somehow, Joseph was able to look beyond that. And so he flourished in the prison. In fact, he flourished everywhere he went, but in the prison, he became a leader. And it says this about him. While while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Wow. Joseph was in prison. If anybody was in a bad circumstance, it was Joseph. If anybody was in a situation where he shouldn't thrive, it was Joseph. Joseph probably could have had an excuse. Hey, Joseph, what have you done with your life? Are you kidding? I'm in prison. What do you expect from me? They only have black and white TV here. It's not even color, right? (laughs) No, but seriously, Joseph had a pass. He could have had a pass. But he didn't take it that way. Somehow when he was in his prison, his tightest moment, he just made a decision. I'm going to honor God here. I'm going to keep a good heart here. I'm sure he had his days. But he was faithful and he served in his prison. And you know, because he served in his prison, God honored him and gave him a high position. He became the prime minister of Egypt. This is a phenomenal story. It's one of the greatest in the Bible. But what I want to focus on is his attitude, his willingness to serve in his prison, his willingness to be faithful. Psalm 50, 23 in the old NIV 84. That version is what I got saved on. It's my favorite version. Now they're changing the NIV all the time. I don't like it. But anyway, NIV 84, back to the roots. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so I may show him the salvation of God. I love this passage. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me and prepares the way for me to show salvation. What does that mean? It's kind of like Joseph. Tough spot, prison place, Am I going to grumble? Am I going to curl up and not do anything? Or am I going to serve God in this tough place? Am I going to have a good attitude? Am I going to honor him with what I say and do? He who sacrifices thank offerings. God, I thank you right now that you still love me. I thank you that you have a plan for me. I don't see it right now. This is a really tough situation I'm in. But God, I thank you that you still love me, that I'm a son and you care for me. You know what the Bible says when we do that kind of stuff? It prepares the way for him to bring salvation. It actually opens the door. 
It's like saying, God, come in and bring your salvation. I thank you that you're in control. Amazing. It honors God. Let me just say this. That attitude honors God, and it allows God to honor us. You see the, you see the plan? Do you see the reciprocity of that? We honor God in how we live, even when it takes faith, even when it pushes us beyond where we're at, and he will honor us. I hope you hear my heart today because I believe that God has something for all of us. I, my prayer for you, and I, I know I've shared a whole teaching on this, and I know there's a lot there, but here's, here's my hope, that one of the stories I shared from the Bible would stand out to you, that you'd relate to one of those and say, you know what, I relate to Joseph, or I relate to Hannah with her family, or, or you know, I relate to Abraham who's trusting and believing God even when it doesn't look like what God's promised me is gonna come through. I hope you can grab a hold of one of those. And then my second thing would be that you could make a choice today to forget what's behind and to begin to strain for what's ahead. Say, God, I wanna begin to send some thank offerings up. I wanna begin to prepare the way for salvation to come. And I believe if you'll do that, God will answer because he's faithful. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.